Well, good morning, church. Welcome to The Exchange, if you're watching online. Welcome to everyone in the house. How is worship? Incredible, right? So good. It's very good. Well, I want to get right to uh, my sermon today, because uh, I want to get you out of here in time to beat the crowd, you know, at the restaurants. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about the Enneagram as a tool, a personality profile system. Um, However, how, seeing that in the Bible, because I, I believe, and especially hopefully during this quarantine, you guys have spent some time getting to know yourself and the people that live directly in your home, but most importantly, yourself. Because I think when we are our truest self, we most re- re- reflect God in our life. You know, when we're born and God puts everything into our heart and it's perfectly designed how many know, though, the, the world and life have a way of mixing up the process, creating some shadows in our life, convoluting everything? So when we get back to who we were destined to be, those of you right now struggling to break free of porn, I hope you know that's not the real you. I know that you feel like you're hiding the real you from everyone, but that's not the real you. The real you is someone that God is perfectly positioned to walk in purity and wholeness in relationship with your creator. Those of you that are in the room or watching online and you're trying to push down the anxiety. Every day is a new day and you're watching the news and you're looking outside and you're seeing the masks and you're thinking, I don't even know what world I, I live in. What, what has this become and how long is this lasting? And, and you have become riddled with fear and anxiety. Can I tell you, that's not the real you. That's not something that you will have to deal with the rest of your life. That's not the real you. Today I'm talking about Enneagram 7, the enthusiast. Now, if you don't know what your Enneagram number is, you can text SELF, S-E-L-F, to 512-980-1220, and you can take a little test after today's awesome sermon, and you can find out what you are. We've gone through this, I guess this is week 7 now, and there are 9, so there are 2 more to go after this week. Um, I personally am a 4, my wife is an 8. So next week's sermon, it's going to be great. And um, the sevens in the room are incredible. My daughter, Michaela, is a seven. My son, Tristan, is a seven. My wife is a wing seven. That's a whole lot of seven in the Rose home. And they are enthusiasts and make things fun. And uh, I believe there are some takeaways today that will apply to all of us, but I want to focus primarily on Enneagram 6, the enthusiast, because the Bible talks about 7, the enthusiast. I'm so proud that I caught that. The 7, the enthusiast. The Bible talks about a 7 that I want to share with you today. His name is David. David is definitely a 7 on the Enneagram. He's wild and crazy, unpredictable, and full of life. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you today. I thank you that your presence is here. Thank 
God, I'm sensing that you're doing things in the room that we didn't anticipate and we didn't plan for. And God, we give you full permission to take us off track and off course today. But God, while we try to honor you with our preparation in this Enneagram 7, I ask that our hearts would be stirred, that we'd be moved to repentance, that we would be pressed towards hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, Amen. 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 Now, I will give you a fair warning today if you're watching online or if you're in the room. If you grew up Baptist, we, we are not Baptist. We are non-denominational. Um, I, I've been a part of many different denominations. But if you grew up Baptist, a strict Baptist upbringing, you may be uncomfortable with today's sermon because it contains the word dancing. When I was a teen, my Baptist friend came to me and said, you know, Trey, why the Baptists are against sex? And I said, no, why? And he said, uh, they're afraid it will lead to dancing. <laughs> if you're Baptist, you know exactly what I'm talking about, just having good fun, right? I want to go to our text, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14 through 22, and David danced. Everybody say danced. David danced. Now, I want to stop right there for just a moment and just address the elephant in the room. Sometimes during worship, some of us act a fool. That's okay. The people who act a fool think that's okay. Ha <laughs> ha. It is absolutely okay. I, I'm not here to bash the expressive sevens in the room, especially, or the dancers in the room. Hey, I want to address you people that, that you clap during one course, and then you get in your car, and the shame cycle begins, and you think, oh, God, I think I overdid it. I shouldn't have joined in on that course. I should have stuck with the toe tapping. David danced. The enthusiast gets movement involved. Now, you don't have to be a seven. I hope you hear me. You don't have to be a seven to get crazy in worship. I am a four, and I get crazy in worship. I know fives. I don't know any five that gets crazy in worship. Micah sometimes. I know sevens that get crazy. I know eights that you don't, it's not based on your number, right? But sevens have a tendency to be a little bit, a little bit crazy. They get the whole body involved. So I love having sevens in the room when I'm trying to worship because they inspire me. Their crazy rubs off on me. I, as a four, I can turn internally crazy and like worship God really, really hard in my heart. I mean, it, there's such a party going on in my heart. Sometimes you can't even see it. Right? But then a seven says something ridiculous like Jesus is your first ministry, or says something ridiculous like, Praise you, Jesus! Loudly, right? And all of a sudden you're like, That sparked something in me, right? David danced. He was not at all 
ashamed. The Bible says he danced before the Lord with what? With all his might. Let's put that verse up. David danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, in the margin of your Bible, I want you to write footloose. How many have seen the movie Footloose? All the young people. Yes. Footloose, they, they did a remake of Footloose. So even some of you Gen X, uh, Gen X, Gen Zers. Oh, we've already come to that. Gen Zers can go and watch the remake if you want. It's an incredible movie. But let me just clear some things up. When men get really, really frustrated, you know, really angry, they don't go get in a Volkswagen and drive away to dance. I mean, can you think, I'm so mad. I'm so ticked. Where, where are my AirPods? I'm just going to dance. You know, guys, guys don't dance when they're angry. It's just a movie, right? Footloose is, is just a movie. But I suppose... Actually, that'd be pretty interesting if that were the case, that people just danced when they got angry, right? Could you imagine reporting on the riots? CNN. Uh, yeah, Anderson, I am on uh, location in Seattle. Uh, organizers of CHOD, Capitol Hill Organized Dance, say they are currently at threat level cha-cha. There is dancing all in the streets. I mean, could, could you imagine? Like, that... That would be awesome, but it doesn't really work that way. But here we see David. Now, who is David? David is a man after God's own heart. We see him dancing in the street. Like, he just doesn't even care. And he's doing it with all of his might. Verse 15. David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. What is the ark of the Lord? It's a box that carries... The remnants of the Ten Commandments, when they go to fight, it's the presence of God. So when the ark of the Lord leads the way, no enemy can stand against him. However, it turns out when they sin, the Lord doesn't care if they have the ark of the Lord or not. The sin is a defeating factor in their life. This says shouts of joy. The people were excited because the ark of the Lord had been brought back to the city. David was so excited. It had been in hiding. They had many times stole it back from someone who had stolen the ark of the Lord from them. So David is excited to finally bring this thing back into the city so that all the people will rejoice. And he takes off, it says, his priestly robe. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that he was naked, but it does mean that he took off the royalty gear. The restrictive gear, right? The, the thing that signified title, position, authority. And he danced before the Lord. The music in him finally met the music that was around him. And in verse 16, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, who actually happens to be David's wife. Isn't it interesting that the writer chooses to let you know she is the daughter of Saul, but doesn't communicate that she is the wife of David. And I'll explain why 
I think that is in just a minute. She looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. This is just an aside. You ever looked at a seven just having a good time and you think to yourself, do you realize we're in a pandemic? (laughs) You know, they're just happy. Don't tell me about the status of the world right now. It doesn't matter. I'm good. I just want to have time. You know, oh, we got Netflix. Great. This is fun. And, And you're thinking, can you just take life a little more seriously? Right? Sevens. Uh, sometimes are dancing in the street and you got people looking from the window. When we see someone worship a little different than we do, we often think, what's wrong with you? Or my favorite, is that really of God? You ever, well, don't raise your hand, but you ever, just confirm in your heart, you ever thought that like me? I have, I've seen people worship with all their might. And I thought, mm, yeah, I think they're a little bit in their self. You know, God was waiting for my assessment of the worship being offered to him. It was really important that I weighed in and I judged the scenario because God may not have known how to receive the worship that looks so foreign to me. Come to find out it looks beautiful to him. You know, I would rather... Someone get a little in their self while worshiping God, then someone not engage their self at all and act like there's no God worth worshiping. If I'm going to make an error, it will be on the error of expressive worship, of giving God my all. By the way, when I say expressive worship, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're running the pew, jumping the pews, running around the room, jumping up and down, screaming out in tongues. I'm talking about expressing all that's in here to him. I've seen worshipers, my grandfather, during worship, just cry. And every teardrop that rolled down his cheek, you could just sense the complete heart that he was offering to the Lord. So it's not about a show that we're trying to create for others or for God. But on some level, we can't worry about the window watchers. She's looking at her husband, Michael's looking, and she's embarrassed, y'all. Ladies, your husband ever do anything that just embarrassed you? And you just thought, oh, honey, don't do that again. Michael is embarrassed But before we think that Michael is crazy and we think she's the bad guy and she's getting on to David who has a heart after God, um, let's all remember that we've all spent time sitting at the window. Uncomfortable with what's going on in the street. Maybe not a seven, but everyone else of us, we've all spent time at the window playing it safe, keeping our distance, watching from the window. And window watching has its own window logic. It provides a reasonable argument that says the window is the best, safest position to be in. Window logic tells us that it's not safe to get close to people, to deeply connect with people. Window logic tells us that we can't be vulnerable and real with people. 
Window logic says, I, I can't build relationship because we don't have the same marital status. You, you're not single or you're married or I, I can't go deep with you because of that. Or window logic says, oh, we're not the same political party, so we can't go deep with one another and love each other and really be vulnerable with one another. Are you, follow, are you picking up what I'm laying down today? There are, there are many things that will keep us at the seat of the window watching the party and the dancing that's going on in the street. But everything that keeps us in the window is all grounded and rooted in fear. Fear of stepping out, fear of messing up, fear of what someone will think or say, fear of not measuring up, fear of not being good enough, fear of disappointment, fear of rejection. Can I just tell the church something right now as your pastor, we better get good at the fear of rejection because cancel culture isn't getting canceled anytime soon. I'll say that again. This world is only gaining traction in rejecting all ideologies that are against what they think are truth. We better get good at understanding what the truth of God's word says And we better get okay with saying the truth regardless of the rejection. Because you understand something, I hope. Cancel culture isn't dancing in the street. Cancel culture is sitting at the window. Cancel culture is too uncomfortable having real conversations, having real interactions, real vulnerability, because cancel culture is afraid that it might get exposed as wrong. Aren't you glad we don't have to lean on our own understanding in this life? I'll tell you what, I don't know, what, I don't know where I stand my opinion on mask, no mask, six feet away, no six feet away, elbow, knees and toes, arms and nose. I don't know. But I'm also glad it doesn't really, doesn't really matter what my opinion is. I need to go to the word of God in all things. It's so funny to me how we as believers, I'm speaking to believers right now. It is funny to me how we can say the Bible applies to this, but not to this. Or I can find solution in scripture for this, but not this. There is nothing that you or our civilized society will ever go through that the Bible has not created a solution for. Nothing. I'm not talking to a right wing or a left wing. I'm talking to the whole bird today and everything in between. There is nothing that our society, that our world can go through that God has not already established a solution. And why did he do that? We know from scripture that he knows the end from the beginning. You know, we might not be caught by surprise so much if we seek more instead of the, the gain of the people around us, but the heart of God, because he already knows the end from the beginning. Enthusiasts are all in all the time. Where'd I stop? Verse 20. No, verse 19. Sorry. Then he gave to every Israelite, man and woman, in the crowd, a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins, 
and toilet paper. <laughs> then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, listen, when you find yourself dancing in the street, it's not just so that you have fun in the street, it's so that you return home to bless your own family. He returns home to bless his own family. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, not his wife, the daughter of Saul. I think the writer is trying to let us know that she is living life through the lens and perspective of the heart of her father, Saul, not from her husband, David. Saul, she came out to meet him and she said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David responded, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father. Uh Uh-oh. That was just a little bit of an extra hashtag. He probably didn't need to throw on there, but sevens can feel a little feisty from time to time. Who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. The enthusiast reflects God's joy. You ever been to church and thought, God must hate us all. You show up at church, hopefully not this one, and there just seems to be no life, no energy, no excitement. I don't believe that God wants to establish a church with people that feel like a relationship with him is depressing. I tell our team all the time, one of the most spiritual things you can do is have fun. I believe that when we have fun and there is joy in our life, we best reflect the heart of God. When Jesus talks about judgment, he also talks about a big party. And you get to choose which one, which room you attend. The enthusiast, their motivation is pleasure and to avoid pain. The seven doesn't want to deal with pain. They prefer not to process pain. They they prefer to put a smile on their face and act like there's nothing going on in here. It's no big deal. Life is great. That's kind of what the seven likes to do. They really love pleasure. Now, unfortunately, in the context of the world, we view pleasure as something bad. But how many know that God is a God of pleasure? He is the author of pleasure. Can I get an amen from somebody who loves a God who loves to please them? Yes. I always think it's funny how, you know, someone will go on vacation, typically people that just are too concerned about pleasure. They'll go on vacation and I say, hey, how, how was the beach? Oh, it was good. We spent a lot of the time praying. <laughs> I just wanted to know if you had a good time. I didn't ask, did you sin? <laughs> I mean... It's not a sin to have pleasure. We think it is, though, even the, out, out there in the world, right? We eat chocolate cake that's just so delicious. We say, oh, it's sinfully delicious. Why does delicious have to be sinful? 
Maybe because the world has shown up in too many churches that didn't offer anything delicious. When sevens are healthy, they're able to bring joy into any situation. Sure could have used more sevens in my car last night when my battery didn't start after the fireworks. And I started the car to get out and beat the crowd um, in Walmart. And the battery didn't start. And my poor sevens, they tried. But this four wasn't having it. I was going to be upset. Sevens can find joy in anything. Sevens are visionary. They are versatile. They are resilient. Helping to inspire people and projects. They don't get uh, trapped into routine. That's a great thing about a seven. Sometimes it's a bad thing about a seven because you're thinking, can you just finish what you started? They're often very scattered. Uh, It's said of sevens that they are a mile wide and an inch deep because they won't, whereas fives are a mile deep and an inch wide, right? Sevens, they, they cover many, many fields. Their core need, if you know a seven, how many, just quick poll, how many of you are connected to a seven somehow? A good number of us. Okay, you know a seven, love a seven, you've seen a seven, good. Um, their core need is to be free. Be free. You can't put them in a box too much. Um, if you have a seven that's a kid, it's, you, you have to learn to get really good at letting them think they're making choices that you want them to make because their core need is to be free. Pleasure dictates their life choices. Now, uh, Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. So the closer you are to Christ, the more your pleasures align with the heart of God and the kingdom of God. So that's not a bad thing that sevens are often dictated, their life choices are dictated by pleasure. The condition really is the spiritual condition. The concern is the spiritual condition that they are in. They will often escape pain at all cost. You will have to set a seven down and say, hey, listen, you're so busy, you're doing all this stuff, but how are you, how are you really? Not what you think you want me to know, but how are you Really, because they will escape pain. They don't often know how to even process the pain. So they need all of us to come alongside them and say, hey, you're not going through this alone. We can do this together. Their core sin, I love this, gluttony. Their core sin is gluttony. Gluttony. You you know that's a fancy term for too much, right? Sevens have a drive for more. This, this gluttony doesn't mean that they're overeating, overeating, overeating. But it's living a life through the lens of always needing more. Never satisfied. You can binge anything. You can binge food. You can binge on sex. You can binge on Netflix. You can binge on vacations. You can binge on work. Like too much of anything can be simply too much. Their core fear is being deprived or trapped. Being deprived or trapped. Sevens have severe FOMO. FOMO is fear of missing out. So they'll be on social media scrolling through, seeing what everyone else is doing, and think, oh, why didn't I get invited to that? 
oh, why can't I take off work and go to the beach? Oh, why, why can't I have those clothes? Why can't I drive that car? Wait a minute, am I, not, am I not good enough to be invited to that? Am I not pretty enough? Am I not cool enough? And then they'll slip into, if they're unhealthy, this narrative of I'm such a loser because I don't have the Instagram stories that everyone else has. I want to take you today, my closing prayer for you. It's Philippians 4, 11 through 13. All the sevens in the room and all the sevens watching online right now, I want to take you to the words of Paul. This should be your life verse. You should memorize this, put it on a mirror. Paul says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned That word learned, underline, highlight that word. Do something with that. Learned. Learned how to be content with whatever I have. You're not just born with a level of contentment. You teach it to yourself. Paul says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. You see, sevens often, maybe not even sevens, I think it's this younger generation. So many young people watching online or in the room hear me. There's a pervasive lie going around. And that lie is this, doing the right thing comes from a feeling that I will someday have. One day I will grow up and feel like doing good. One day I will grow up and be uh, you know, mature enough to feel like doing the right thing, to feel like being responsible, to feel like keeping your word and following through with your commitments, to feel like showing up to work on time, to, to feel like being there for my family. Can I, can I tell us all today that we would all be homeless and all on the street and hungry and probably without clothes if we simply did what we feel like doing every day. Doing the right thing doesn't always feel good. Philippians 4.13, we quote it all the time. We, we, man, that verse gets so much mileage in our life. It says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Right? Hashtag awaken greater. I mean, we, we use that verse whenever we're struggling physically. We use that verse when we're struggling relationally. We use that verse when we're struggling financially. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm not suggesting that you misappropriate that verse. You use it as much as you want because the word of God is alive and it is active. I'm simply saying to you that Philippians 4.13 is not really tied to you running that marathon. It's not really tied to you getting that next check. The all things that it's tied to is comparing yourself to others. Being content with what you have. Not falling into this need of desperately needing more. Paul is saying, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have little. And both are tough. 
Because in both situations, my drive wants more. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because I'm learning to be content with where I am, with what I have, and with who I am. Some of us in the room need to learn to be content with where you are, with what you have, and with who you are. You're chasing a carrot that's tied to a stick that won't let you stop running as long as you want more. So Father, we come before you today. God, we thank you for our sevens that bring life and joy into every situation. But God, today, today in a climate where we quite literally don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Never before in the history of my life or my parents' life that I'm aware of has there Has there been a global climate where we just quite literally did not know what the next day was going to bring? God, we would be tempted right now to store up more for tomorrow, but we're going to choose to learn. We're going to choose to be content in this moment, whether we have little or we have a lot. We choose contentment today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.